0: I am so glad you're here, church. I'm good to see you. So, I wanna talk about who we are and what we are as the church, and so no better way to start that than talk about our traffic laws. <laughs> Those are not mere suggestions. They're not advertised as helpful hints. If you're in the left lane and the speed limit is 40 miles an hour, please go 40 miles an hour. If you do 25 miles an hour, you are breaking the law. And for those of us who find the law being a warm blanket of comfort, you are making us uncomfortable. Not that I have personal experience in that. Anyways, moving on. Most of us like boundaries and rules. We may not advertise that we like it we may not tell everybody we like it we may even believe ourselves that we like bending the rules some and while that may be true there is a comfort in following rules and having those boundaries so let's look at a couple of opportunities where people or animals had an opportunity to follow the rules to the letter <laughs> the cat was told you are not to get on the table That is a well-trained cat. Our cats just sit on the table and stare at Jana and smile like what? Next slide. Do not get on the furniture. You'll get it in a minute. Next one. Go outside and play for a while. This is the next senator from Texas. He's got his video game system outside his window playing outside. He's brilliant. Next. And finally, the sign says no drinks back here unless they have a screw on top. Thank you, management. And so someone bought their coffee cup and put a screw on top of it. Those are my kind of people, you know? So we all have these issues. We all have these items of, of wanting to follow the rules and, and whether we want to or not. And I mean, I've heard it in more deacons meetings than anywhere else. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Or in men's Bible study classes where their wives can't hear them. So that's just a statement we kind of live by. We think about, right? But there's something wrong there. So if you'll turn to Matthew 9, we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. And this is probably one of the most powerful stories of a call of a disciple, and it's the very call of Matthew himself. And so as you turn to Matthew nine, verse nine, we're gonna read through verse 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table at the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus. And his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew's a tax collector and he's in a port city in Galilee. And while none of us like taxes, and if you do, you're a sick individual. (laughs) None of us are fans of taxes, but in this time period, you had two types of tax collectors. You had the, the Roman government collecting a flat tax, but you also had these tax collectors that are collecting on custom duties. Yeah, I said duties in church, custom duties. And what they were doing with that was you charged a certain amount. And that percentage went to the government. And anything you chose to choose over that charge over that you got to keep so you've got matthew who is a jew charging his jewish brothers and sisters a tax and he's keeping the money and giving a small portion to the government he's stealing from his own people that's why they can't stand tax collectors that's why tax collectors are so vile in fact there are jewish rules that state it is okay in God himself will not be upset if you lie to a tax collector. I mean, they made up some good rules just for tax collectors. That it's okay to lie to them. I would not recommend trying this next April 15th. But they could do this. And so they've got this philosophy that they've created that you can lie to the tax collectors because they're already lying cheats. They're lower than the lowest. I mean, they're as low as prostitutes and the, and the other beggars and, and lepers because, you know, they deserve it. They're nasty. And so then you have Jesus walking along and seeing Matthew and says, follow me. He doesn't pass judgment on Matthew. He doesn't make a statement about, well, if you would just stop sinning, if you would just be better, choose a different profession. No, he says, follow me. He doesn't talk about what he's doing, what sin he's living in, how he's treating his fellow believers. Just follow me. And what does Matthew do? He gets up and follows Jesus. Jesus has now publicly placed himself with tax collectors. He is a tax collector that's going to be a disciple. And yet this is not about moral reform. This is about life transformation. And so Jesus goes to dinner with Matthew. Matthew is so excited that he has invited his friends, his circle of colleagues, and those who are other outcasts. And there they are having dinner with Jesus. And the Pharisees come up. And do they address Jesus at all? No. Who do they talk to? His disciples. They start doing this little mouthy stuff over to the disciples. Well, what's he doing? He's eating with sinners. He's eating with tax collectors. Doesn't he know any better? And Jesus overhears this and he quotes from Hosea. For I desire a steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, Hosea was a prophet to the people of Israel, and he was trying to get them to understand that while you look like you're following the covenant and you're keeping the rules, you're not letting your heart be changed by God. And just like the the Israelites of that time, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and saying, you're doing exactly the same thing. You're keeping the law, you're keeping the rules, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but there's no heart change. God chose the Israelites to be his people and his people were supposed to lead us to the redemptive work of God and they failed. I mean, our Bible study this morning in Jeremiah is addressing that very failure of Judah and God's going, I am going to remove you if you do not comply. And Jesus is that new covenant, the Messiah they're waiting on. And the Pharisees are so blinded by the rules and regulations, they cannot see Christ for who he is. So are we answering that call to follow him? I mean, it's easy to look back to that time period in the 21st century in a mostly air-conditioned building that has the privilege of seeing things from that that period their arrogance their hard-heartedness but do we not run into the same danger do people know that we are actually christ's disciples or are we going through the motions and our hearts are unchanged romans three ten tells us this it is written none is righteous not one no one understands, and no one seeks for god in other words we all have a sin nature we are born into that brokenness we live in that brokenness We we have fun in that brokenness. We do not by nature seek God. The idea of why do bad things happen to good people is a misnomer from from the beginning. Because bad things happen and none of us are good. The only good I can see in you. The only good you can see in me is that Jesus Christ is in my life. And that Jesus Christ is in your life. That is the only thing that makes us good. And so... If we look back at the beginning of all this, we can blame Adam and Eve. They were in the garden. They had perfection. And they listened to a lie that they could be like God and they bought into it and, and did their own thing and brought that brokenness into the world and broke us. But we still live in that brokenness and we haven't defended that brokenness. We, we revel in it. Not only do we battle this world that, that hates God and everything he is, We're also fighting against false teachings of the church. There are times that we've been raised in churches and there are places that that some of you I've even talked to have said, my church never spoke about the gospel. They took it for granted or they didn't speak about it. Well, then we're raising a generation of people who do not know who God is and what they stand for. The gospel is not just to lead people to Jesus in a salvation experience. It's to remind us of who we are in Christ. The gospel should be a message of hope every time it's spoken. If we gather together and I preach a good little moral message of how to be a good person and I don't offend an atheist or someone of a different faith, I am not doing my job. We are told to speak truth and live in that truth. We are supposed to love the world compassionately and unconditionally, speak with grace, but do not yield on the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be as a disciple, is someone who will live out everything he is. We have churches that are ignoring the truth of God's word in, in that moral message in its place because we think that's a safer way to go. But also we live in a time where churches are pushing the gospel completely out Because they're taking it and saying, it's all about me. I mean, watch television. And when someone says that you're good as a pastor, they're lying. If someone says, God wants to bless you with riches, show me where that's in the Bible. What does God ask you to be? Be a disciple. Follow me. And the group that followed him, were they rich? No. No. Would the group that followed him have everything they desired? Not from their sin nature, but from the desires of God, yes. God does not promise us an easy path. And when someone from a a pulpit says that I can teach you an easy way to Jesus, they're not being honest. And we're missing the point. See, the point is, is it's not about you and it's not about me. When we read scripture and we read like the story of David... Do not put yourself in the place of David. You are not David facing some Goliath in your life. That's the worst way to read scripture. It's not even about David. It's about the fact that God was glorified because David was obedient to God. And getting rid of someone who was taunting the people of God. So while David was obedient and did this amazing thing. It's God who needs to be glorified. Because it's about God. The scripture is about the glory of God, the redemptive work of Christ, and our call to follow him, to be his disciple. Not a church attender, not someone who shows up for the special events, but to be a disciple. To surrender our minds, our bodies, and our souls to Christ. A disciple, we learn, is, is a learner. And from a Western standpoint, we look at it as I'm someone who's smart, intellectual, they use their mind. No. From a biblical New Testament standpoint, a learner is someone who gives himself completely to a teaching. Mind, body, soul. Everything in. Jesus Christ became central to everything they are. It's not an adjective. I'm not a Christian father, a Christian husband, a Christian minister, a friend. I am a Christian. I am a child of God. I am his And that Christ in me should affect my fathering. That Christ in me should accept my husbanding. It's a word. That Christ in me should accept my friending. That should affect everything I am and everything I do. And even when I sin and fail, Christ is in the center to pick me back up, to redeem me, and move me forward. You know, last week, Troy was telling us about the sovereignty of God. And God gave us the Ten Commandments, and he did. The Ten Commandments are not the rules that we're supposed to live by, and that's what we're supposed to attain. See, that's I thought that for years. The the Ten Commandments, the, the rules are how we live. Should we try to live under those rules? Sure, but ultimately what the Ten Commandments are is a mirror. It's a large mirror. And when we look into that mirror, we should realize there is no way I can attain this level of living i need a redeemer i need someone to pay the price for my inadequacy because i cannot do it alone and so the ten commandments yet again are another path of god trying to show his redemptive work for us and to us if we're just willing to yield Romans five eight. It's great that you read Romans 5. One of my favorite passages, Troy. But Romans five eight goes on to tell us this. God shows us his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that... We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. The gospel not only addresses my behaviors and my actions, but it, it also addresses who I am by promising to change me at my core level of personhood. Salvation is not the end game. Reconciliation to a righteous and holy God is. And when I encounter that right relationships, I become a participant in God's story. And I play a role in his story, not the other way around. This is not your story. This is not my story. This is God's story. And we are participants in that. We are called to be that as disciples and we're called to be that as the church. Terry Newhoff is a a Christian pastor and now Christian writer and a leader of leaders. And I was reading an article this last week and he made this statement. Maybe you've heard one of these following statements. Church is just not for me. It's an outdated religious experience. My faith is private. I don't need the church. The church is a man-made invention. It doesn't feed me. It's easy to see that the exodus of people from the church over the the pandemic and following. I mean, it's easy to see that, but what we don't fully recognize is the exodus has been happening for several generations. We've been walking away from the church. Why? Well, we're presenting a Christ that's not the actual Christ. We're presenting a church that's not really the church if we're not careful. See, if we're not careful, we become very, the very Pharisees we, we get upset with. First of all, get this out of your vernacular. You do not come to church. So repeat after me, I do not come to church. I am the church. You can have church in my driveway, I've learned, in my garage, in my living room, at a coffee shop. Heck, I can have church in an office of all places. You can have church anywhere where the bride of Christ is gathered together and they're being the church together. And isn't that great? God uses us to be the church. It's not perfect. Life is complex. We have multiple choices that we could not attend and not be a part of this. But as a disciple, as I said, church is not something we go to, it's what we are. You cannot disassociate from the church any more than you could disassociate from humanity. Second, you need to know it's not a human invention. What Newhoff said that I loved was this. He said, you could read the New Testament with one eye closed, one hand tied behind your back, and half-heartedly do it. And it still would convey to you without question the inescapable fact that God designed the church. In fact, most of the New Testament is not dealing with Jesus. What's it dealing with? God's mandate and ordination for us to go be the church. That's the call. That's what he's telling us to do. Now, I know some of you are looking at this going, oh my gosh. You're one of the leaders of this church. Heaven help us all. I understand that thought. My wife has that thought every morning. I get it. And I look at some of you as leaders and think, heaven help us all. I mean, we're a motley crew. We're kind of like that wonderful claymation Christmas story. We're the island of misfit toys that's awesome think about it god's plan was to take fallible man and woman and put us together and say okay go be the church of the thousands of ways that god could have done this this is his choice yes it leads some of you to despair (laughs) i understand i get it but isn't it amazing that god uses that to show his abundant grace that I can use this group of people to be the church and do what I've called them to do, that he uses ordinary broken human beings as a vessel of his grace, and he delights in that. I mean, he could have spoken to the world directly. It would have freaked everybody out. He could have put a perfect example on, on earth And shown us the way. Oh, wait, he did that. That's called Jesus, right? He uses us, flawed people, to accomplish his work. In in fact, what he does is the church gives the world a front row seat to see the grace of God in action every day. So, where do we go from here? What do we do next? The first step in becoming the church God is calling us to do, to be, is to make sure each of us do these next few things. You ready? This is not a multiple step plan for your security, okay? This is just a process. First of all, we need to make sure we've established a relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> if we're gonna be called little Christians, if we're gonna be followers of Christ, we have to have a relationship with Him. So you have to establish that relationship with Christ. Once you've established that relationship with Christ, we now need to equip one another to move from a believer of Jesus to a disciple of Jesus. Two different animals, very similar, sound the same, but they are not. And so we need to move from believer to a disciple of As we're moving into that thing, you need to be empowered to make disciples. One one thing this church is really good at is having small groups. We have a couple of men's small groups during the week. We have several women's small groups. We have co-ed small groups. We do care groups. I mean, we have divorce care, grief share, Oasis. I mean, we do these amazing care ministries. The next step is, okay with all this information, you're empowered to go. What good is it if you know how to make the best fishing lure in the world? What good is it if you're equipped to build the best fishing boat of all time? What good is it if you're an expert on a rod and reel? If we don't get out of the parking lot, get to a lake, and go fishing. Write every book you want on fishing, you can, but if we don't do it, What's the point? So we've got to be empowered to go. And once you're empowered to go, you can engage in your community. And when you engage in your community, your only purpose is to help others establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they can then move into being equipped to move from believer to a disciple. So they can be empowered to go make disciples. So that they too can go and engage a community and bring someone else to where they can, say it with me now, establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our call. It sounds so simple. But it's very hard. Look at our history. We've not been that great at it, have we? Not to be a downer. Not to be that upsetting. But let's be honest, the crusades weren't our shining moment. Except Jesus. (laughs) Okay, they didn't. They're dead. I mean, not not a good move. We've got controversy in in multiple denominations, debating and battling over issues. When a church gathers together with other churches, what should the topic be? Should it be gender in ministry? Or should it be how do we bring more people to Jesus Christ? Personally, my view is, if you're not leading people to Jesus, if you're not being a disciple, who cares about your moral view right now? Not being ugly, not being hateful, don't hear that. But if we're not doing the thing God called us to do, who cares about the rest? Last I checked with the call of Matthew, did he say stop being a tax collector? Was that in there? I don't think that was there, was it? Oh, did it say you've got to go to church for a few weeks and get yourself squared away? No. What did it say? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus takes us where we are, doing what we're doing, and says, come on. And standing in the presence of Christ, that's where the change will be. Let that perfect Christ Be the reflection you're looking at. And things will change. If you truly pursue being a disciple. You submit. You yield. And you follow him. You're going to change. So this week. As you spend time. Doing life. Spend some time in prayer. And I ask you to pray for this. I ask you to pray that God will let you see yourself. And see your fellow church members as he sees them. Pray that you can see yourself and your fellow church members as God sees you. Because here's what he sees. He sees his bride made pure through Jesus Christ. He sees his children adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. And his sacrifice for our behalf. You and I are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. So as you pray and as you spend this week, I need you to look in the mirror and realize that you are a redeemed royalty. You are called to be a disciple and not an attender. You are called to serve one another, not just volunteer. You are called to make disciples, not spectate. We are called to do this life in community with one another, even when it's hard. We are called to be the church. As I close, let's go back to a couple of those things we talked about. Establish. Maybe you've not established a relationship with Jesus Christ. There will be people down here that will be more than happy to walk you through what it means to be a child of God. And to receive the saving power of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you are a believer. And you're ready to take that next step. And I want to be equipped to be a disciple. I want to go all in. We have small groups that meet in groups of (laughs) up to 14, 15 people. We have one-on-one groups. We have small groups of three or four. You need a place to get connected. I can connect you. I know some people. Maybe you feel like you're being equipped, but you just don't, you don't have a conduit on where you can go serve and be Jesus to our community. Let's talk. We can get you plugged into places that you've never dreamed of. Troy alluded it to this week. We had 180 kids running around this campus. What he didn't tell you is we didn't have air conditioning for a day. Amen. Hallelujah. We should have preached on hell that day. That would have been fun. Oh, my heavens. It was warm. But you know what? Nobody griped. Nobody complained. At least it didn't get to me. The kids didn't care. They had a blast. But in having the blast, Jeffrey Foster, BJ Foster, Julie Hammer, and so many volunteers were speaking truth into those kids. Into those volunteers. They were hearing truth from the word of God. Unfiltered. You didn't hear, I well, I believe, dot, dot, no, you heard the word of God says. Troy, how many volunteers and leaders did you have on top of that? Okay, he had this many. So that means a lot. That's somewhere between zing and wow. So, so yeah, I mean, we had this place full. That's great. And we're going to have those opportunities. We have vacation Bible school coming up in two weeks. We are at capacity. We're at capacity. I don't think we can accept any more people. I think we've got just enough room. Now, if someone shows up at the door, what are we going to do? We're going to find the skinniest room with the skinniest people and put that third, that next person in there so they can't be in my classroom because I take up too much space. But we're going to find a place, but we're at capacity. So think about that contact. Hundreds. And hundreds of people getting to empowered, get, and get impacted by Christ. But what about when we walk out this door? Each of you go to a neighborhood that only you can impact. I can't impact your neighborhood. Don't speak, Mike. But Mike Peace and I can impact our neighborhood. Because we're together. He's the guy that when people come door to door to talk about their church, he goes, why don't you go across the street and talk to that guy? He loves talking to people. (laughs) Sends people to my door. And I love it. We race to the new neighbors to try to get them to come to church. Because we're the Jesus in our neighborhood. You're the person that's going to impact your people. So you have to have the ability and not not only be the equipping, but feel empowered to do so. And then finally, maybe you're feeling a call to finally get out there and do something. Several of the ministries our our church does in our community, grief share, Alzheimer's care, divorce care, those all were born out of somebody here at this campus who was hurting and dealing with that very issue. And they did something about it. And Grief Share is a great place where people will come and unload some really heavy burdens. And some have met Christ for the first time. Some are church family members and brothers and sisters in Christ here now. Divorce care is the same way. Oasis, our, our Alzheimer's care ministry. Not only do we do a Thursday experience for the Alzheimer's patient. We have a Friday experience for caregivers where they have a safe place to be. I had lunch this this Thursday with the city of Louisville. And the city of Louisville is taking a radical step and we are creating a Serve Louisville. We're creating a community engagement group to where churches, nonprofits, and the government will partner together and we're gonna impact our city. And I had one question at the end of that conversation with one of the city officials said, if I'm gonna do this, I get to speak about Jesus unashamedly and they said well we have some other denominations and faiths here I said that's great i get to speak about jesus unashamedly well but i get to speak it's not a question i'm making a statement i get to speak about jesus unashamedly right said, well if you're involved yes sir we'll let you do that <laughs> thank you it's great that we have things coming here but it's time for us to walk out of this building it's time for us to walk out into our community and our neighborhoods. It's time for us to go be the good Samaritan and love on the people who are hurting right outside our doors. Cause they are hurting. We have people who are homeless in our neighborhoods. Right across the highway. We have people that are going without food cause they have nothing. We have people who need clothing. We live in an affluent area, but we have people that aren't getting the basic needs. I'm not here to tell you, let's go start a bunch of needs ministries so that we can take care of the physical needs. I'm saying we have opportunities to meet those physical needs so we can tell them about the greatest need they have, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time we can come together. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the call of Matthew, that you could just look at him and say, follow me. You didn't tell him to change his way. You didn't tell him to give everything back. You didn't tell him to stop it. You just said, follow me. And he did. And what does he do? He brings other sinners to you. What an amazing example of discipleship. What an amazing example of evangelism, Father. If we could just bring people to you because you have impacted us so greatly. So, Father, in the next few moments, if someone needs to meet you for the first time, give them the courage to walk forward. If someone needs to come here and make this a part of their church family, then let them step out and say so. Father, if someone just needs to reaffirm their faith and recommit to you, let them know the author's here. I'm tired of us being scared to respond to react and interact, Father. I'm ready for us to be the bride of Christ you've called us to be, and so I, for one, will do whatever you ask and I pray that our church will stand in this occasion will rise up to this moment and we can be the bride you're calling us to be there are so much amazing things happening here that are only coming from you so many wonderful experiences and fellowship and, and engagement with fellow believers here because it's you and I pray that others can see First Louisville as a place where you are present and you want to be even more present It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.